0: Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, March 2nd edition of the Basement Academy. Today is Ash Wednesday. Uh, We invite you uh, to join us tonight at 7 p.m. in our chapel if you'd like to come to our Ash Wednesday service or uh, a a church of your choice uh, in the community. Sometimes there are daytime uh, Ash Wednesday services. This begins the season of Lent as we begin our uh, six-and-a-half-week journey, our 40-day journey uh, towards uh, the cross and uh, Good Friday and Christ's atonement and then, of course, our Easter celebration. Uh, Lent is so named for the lengthening of the days, so it has nothing to do with the spiritual nature of it, just is the season when the days are lengthening. But it is a season that is... Pattern on the forty-day fast of Jesus in the wilderness, and so many Christians will give something up for Lent. They will fast. So that's the that's the idea behind that, kind of fasting with Jesus. But it's also remembering the purpose for the cross, and so Lent uh, is typically a season of recalling our humanity. Uh, our mortality, our need for forgiveness. It's a season of repentance and self-examination. And so we invite you, uh, even if you're not able to join today on Ash Wednesday, where we bear the ashes, a reminder that from dust we've come and to dust we shall return, um, that you would mark this day in some way. And I think our our reflection today will will certainly point uh, in this same direction. So let me begin with our morning psalm, Psalm 2. and it's a reminder that uh, there are enemies of the people of God. And so the psalmist offers this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, "'I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Psalm two, <clears throat> okay. One of the questions uh, that has come in, actually was asked maybe a little even before we, uh, we kicked off our questions. What do we do with the imprecatory prayers or the imprecatory Psalms? Uh, what's the history, the use, the purpose of these? By an imprecation is essentially pronouncing a curse. And so these Psalms that ask God to curse the enemy. And so Psalm 2 kind of works right on the edge of that. Why do the nations gather, the rulers of the earth gather against the Lord, against the King, the anointed one? And then he talks about ruling with an iron scepter, with wrath flaring up. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Look out. God can get you in a moment, in a second. And so there are within our Psalms a number of um, these prayers, these Psalms, that are so very difficult to pray. Psalm 109. Uh, Appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. So this is asking for the death of this person. Psalm 139 um, moves along so wonderfully about, you know, if I go to the outer parts of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. You know, God is with us everywhere, even in our mother's womb. Before I was, you know, all the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. Psalm 139 soars with poetic beauty. And then, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Wow! I've spoken of this psalm before, and that the tendency to conduct a psalmectomy where we cut out the, those parts that make us a little uncomfortable, this is the most psalmectified psalm. <laughs> I don't think those are real words. But the doozy is Psalm 137, where the psalmist is in the context of exile, sitting by the rivers of Babylon, weeping, remembering Zion, Um, There are captors demanded for us songs of joy. So there's this sense of torment and sorrow and loss. Uh, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, O Jerusalem, my highest joy. And so the Psalm is filled with sorrow and it's very poignant, but it turns into something very dark and difficult. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundation. So recalling how the neighbors taunted as Jerusalem was being destroyed. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy or blessed is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes their heads against the rocks. Oh, my goodness. So if you've been reading through the Psalms and praying them, because we've talked about doing this five Psalms a day and one chapter of Proverbs in the course of a month, you will read through and pray all of the Psalms. And so you've encountered Psalm 137 and Psalm 139 and Psalm 109 and so many others, these imprecatory Psalms what do we do with them why are they in there who let those guys into our bibles don't they know that we people of faith are about hope and peace and love and joy we are kind and gentle and we wish no harm to anyone ever and so who let this into our bibles that you would dash the baby's heads against the rocks Hatred is the emotion, the emotional capacity and the emotion that God has given us to signal outrage when injustice and violation is being done. And so we hate that which disturbs our sense of the peace. Now, we are not always accurately in tune with the the will and purposes of God. And so sometimes we hate for wrong reasons but hatred is that emotion. It draws blood, it motivates, it, it, it puts a fire in the belly. And most often our hatred, our anger and passion gets directed outwards at another person or persons in violence or abusive language or harmful actions and speech and other things we do to put people in their place, to take them out. So it's Cain rising up against his brother Abel. For what offense? We're never quite told, but Cain was jealous, was angry, and said, I've got to remove him. So Cain, instead of praying his anger, God, help me through this moment when I wish my brother dead, he goes out and makes his brother dead. And so the imprecatory Psalms, as I understand it, are given us to bear witness to the reality of the human condition of hatred and anger, uh, the the reality of violence that enemies have done to us and our wish for their revenge and their demise. Jesus reminds us that we have enemies. Don't just greet those who greet you. Anybody can do that. But you need to learn how to love your enemies. They're my enemies. Paul reminds us that, you know, we have enemies. There's a spiritual battle that we're living in, uh, Ephesians 6, that many live as enemies of the cross, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Um, Jesus reminds us, I think it's John chapter 15, do not be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me first. And so from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, 15, when God pronounces the curse, the imprecation upon the serpent, that I will put enmity between you and the seed of the woman. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And so there is this ancient hostility between the serpent, the enemy, the devil, and God and the people of God. And one day the seed of the woman, the the Messiah will come and crush the serpent's head, which we believe happened on the cross but Jesus healed, that is, he was wounded. His heel was bruised, as it were, in the fight, in the process. So the question is, what do we do with these imprecatory psalms? What's their history? Well, they they draw us back into the scriptures, the history of Israel and and the, the, the opposition that Israel faces. The purpose of the imprecatory psalms is to teach us to pray our anger, to pray our hatred, to pray these emotions that are so we're embarrassed really before God. So this is why most of us avoid the imprecatory Psalms because they don't seem Christian enough. We want to come before God dressed in our Sunday best, right? I don't feel worthy when I feel that way. I don't want to go pray because that, you know, I need to pray loving prayers, kind prayers, gracious prayers. No, we need to pray our actual lives. And so the uses, the purpose of the imprecatory Psalms is to teach us, one, that we're not alone in our anger. Others have felt this way, this take their babies' heads and dash them against the rocks. I mean, you can almost feel the anger seething out of that Psalm 137. We have all felt that way at some point. Some of us are extroverted and we express that anger outwardly with words and grunts and groans. Others of us are introverts and we feel that same. We burn with passion and we hold it in here. But all of us, all humans feel hatred. We wish the demise of others, those who oppose us, those who are standing in our way. And so, this is what I've done over the years. I've been praying these psalms now for 30 years. And so, I've come to understand the enemy in a certain way. My enemy is anything that opposes God or the work of God in me. That's my enemy. And so, I've developed a fourfold pattern of thinking about the enemy so that in these imprecatory psalms that are dealing with the enemy, I can enlist them in a, in a more productive way because I don't want to act on my anger I don't want to act on my hatred I don't want to outburst on people and you know destroy relationships and my reputation so first enemy that I have that opposes God and the work of God is my own sin the stubbornness the pride you know that's which is in me second enemy is the generational sins, the patterns of sin that get handed from uh, generation to generation. The sins of the fathers get visited to the third and fourth generation. Some of us grew up in abusive homes and broken homes and angry homes and hateful homes. And some of us carry those wounds and scars. And some of us are angry, passionate, sometimes hateful people. And sometimes that spills out and it can spill down into the generations. And so one of the ways I pray this is, Lord God, may it stop in this generation. May the sins of my fathers and grandfathers not be visited to me. May my sins not be visited upon my children. And so those patterns of behavior, speech, um, attitudes, um, uh, addictions, and other things that that oppose the the, the work of God in our lives. Uh, The third enemy is the cultural patterns. Um, and messages that defy God and his kingdom all around us. And so we live in a world right now that is lying to us a thousand times over. And so instead of just marching and protesting and being angry all the time about the crazy things that our world is telling us, particularly you know, what's teaching our children about human sexuality and race and all these kind of things, that we pray against that and list these prayers to pray against the cultural lies of the day that oppose God and the work of God in us. And then finally, we have an enemy. That is the devil, uh, the adversary, uh, Satan, um, and his minions. And so uh, the the Bible says in the New Testament that that the devil prowls about like a lion seeking some to devour And so we use these imprecatory Psalms to pray against the spiritual forces of darkness and evil. So may hatred and and anger not lodge in me. And so these prayers help me to move that stuff out and to enlist that energy that my anger and frustration and hatred bring, enlist, harness that energy. It is hard. So this is why you need to pray the Psalms daily because you're not going to feel that passionate intensity all the time, but you're going to be praying Psalm 137. You can pray for somebody who you think might be caught in you know such a place, but you learn the language so that when it is your time of hatred and anger and passion and intensity, you've got language and you direct it uh, uh, heavenward, as it were. But see, this is the problem. We don't feel that's legitimate. So I want to read just a couple uh, passages from uh, Eugene Peterson, his book, Answering God, the Psalms as Tools for Prayer. I've spoken about this before and shown this to you before. For those who are listening, I'm holding up the book on the screen. Chapter eight uh, deals with this Psalm 137. And so here's a little bit of what, what Peterson writes. He says, hate is the volcanic eruption of outrage when the holiness of being, ours or another's, has been violated. It is also the ugliest and most dangerous of our emotions. The hair trigger on a loaded gun. Mm, What a picture. In our hatred, we're ready to just start firing away and kill people. Embarrassed by the ugliness and fearful of the murderous, We commonly neither admit or pray our hate. We deny it and suppress it. But if it is not admitted, it can quickly and easily metamorphose into the evil that provokes it. We become so outraged at what others have done to us, we do outrageous things to others. We've all experienced that, haven't we? (laughs) I become the thing I despise. I do the thing I am so angry about I end up doing it to somebody else. Peterson goes on just as hurt is the usual human experience that brings us to our knees praying for help so hate is the is frequently the human experience that brings us to our feet praying for justice so hurt drives us to our knees hate drives us to our feet God, something, this is wrong. Catalyzing our concern for the terrible violations against life all around us. Hate is often the first sign that we care. Think about that. I am so upset that this outrage has happened, that the holiness of of life and my life and another's life has been violated. I'm so angry, but hate is the sign that we care. If we are far gone in complacency, it is often the only emotion with enough velocity to penetrate our protective smugness and draw red blood. That does not mean that prayer legitimizes hate, it uses it. Mm. It is easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. It is nearly impossible to be honest before God in the dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress our negative emotions. Or when we do express them, we do it far from the presence or what we think is the presence of God, ashamed or embarrassed to be seen in these curse-stained bib overalls. But we must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be, The way of prayer is not to cover over our unlovely emotions so that they will appear respectable, but to expose them so that they can be enlisted in the work of the kingdom. We need these imprecatory Psalms to teach us the only thing that we really should do with our hatred is to pray. God, I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I wish I could dash that person's head against the rock. God, have mercy on me. That's going to destroy me. It's going to eat me up. And I might do something of harm to that other person. You see how that works? Uh, These do show up in the New Testament. Jesus pronounces the seven woes upon the Pharisees, kind of the prophetic thundering in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, In Revelation chapter, oh golly, what is it, 19 or 18? 18. Yeah, chapter 18 about the fall of Babylon. It's just, it's (laughs) woo. There's this language um, about fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts. I sit as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death and mourning and famine, she will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord who judges her. So Revelation 18, I think we would see as an, an imprecation upon uh, the empire. It's probably Rome is what is in view there, but it's under the language of Babylon. So anyway, so let me just kind of, let me just put the, push the pause button there and kind of wrap that up. There's great uses uh, for imprecations, they're just hard. And so it's really graduate level discipleship that gets us uh, into those. Um, Real quickly, just to wrap up our time today, why do we sometimes say debts and debtors in the Lord's Prayer and sometimes trespasses and those who trespass against us? And in some traditions it's sins, uh, forgive us our sins and those who sin against us. Short answer, um, uh, just different traditions settle, right? Uh, Matthew records Jesus' Lord prayer using the word debts and debtors. Um, And uh, Luke records trespasses. I grew up in the Methodist church, which is a trespassing church, as it were. And the Presbyterian church, we say debts and debtors. Um, There's all kinds of reasons people speak to it. One suggests that Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic, but the scriptures are written in Greek. And so the Aramaic word for um, sin there, the debt, the ch- choba, um, can be translated both debt or trespass. Um, Matthew's recording, uh, writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And so the Jewish mentality around sin would be an indebtedness. So that you would, um, so like on the year of jubilee, uh, you would be set free, and so kind of being in the debt of another, we're in debt to God, we're in debt. So there's this release, this remission um, uh, of debts, and so so some suggest that Matthew translated or you know the, the 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 Aramaic word in such a way to to connect with that Hebraic understanding of indebtedness and release. Um, whereas Luke is writing primarily to a Gentile audience where trespass is the the violation of a boundary. And so there's many ways of understanding sin. It is a debt. It is a trespass. It is a missing of the mark, like a, like a bullseye. That's how we're supposed to live, but we shoot the arrow and we're all over the place. And so there are... Um, so I, I, it, it's really nothing more than that, um, that different... Church traditions um, just settle into one of those, and it just becomes customary. Uh, I, I notice it at funerals, um, when we get to that portion uh, of the of the service, and I'll I'll bid the congregation to pray as Jesus, as our Lord Jesus taught us. Almost always, there are trespassers in the house. <laughs> you know, those from a Roman Catholic or Methodist uh, background, or other others that use the language of trespass. And so um, I usually pause a little bit to let it unfold (laughs) because debts and debtors gets through quicker than our trespasses and those who trespass against us. So anyway, great question. Um, There's certainly no theological, significant theological difference between them. It it is more of a custom and tradition, I think, okay? Well, let's close with prayer. Uh, Hope today's been helpful. On Ash Wednesday, as we recall... um, the the need for the Savior as we begin our journey towards the cross, let us be honest with our brokenness, with our anger, with our hatred, with those whom we may hold uh, in contempt. God, work that out of our lives this Lenten season. Heal our angry, uh, broken hearts in, in some new way. So, Lord, hear our prayers to that very end on this holy day of remembrance and recalling our mortality and need for the Savior's grace. So, So as we have been forgiven, Lord, help us to forgive others, uh, which is what your heart is, that we would learn the ways of grace and mercy, of forgiveness, of hope, of trust, of reconciliation. And so, Father, make it so this day and forevermore as we pray in the name of the Savior who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may the grace of God through Jesus Christ that forgives you be expressed through you in grace and forgiveness to all in your life, this day and forevermore. Amen.